done some research and found this really neat system, much, much, much more affordable. She had done, had a really cool, like, milk frother thing. And I opened this because it's got this heavy present, and it was super surprised, and it was unexpected. And it just made me so happy because it's like, wow, she cared enough about me. She went and did this research. She saw I wasn't going to get it. It was a super unexpected present because it didn't, you know, it was heavier than a shirt. It was, it was great. So I really liked that. And I was thinking about how Jesus himself was very unexpected for the time. Back in the time, um, the Jews were expecting their Messiah to be a political or a military leader because they were under the occupation of Rome, and it was a cruel occupation, and they thought that the Messiah would come and save them from Rome, right? But man, were they wrong. They were really wrong. In fact, God's plan was so not about a political thing the nation of Israel, not 40 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, about 40 years later, Rome destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, murdered a lot of the Jews, and shipped them off to foreign countries. And the state of Israel did not exist again as a nation until 1948. So, wow, were they off. This son of God, this little baby that came that we just celebrated, was completely unexpected. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about the unexpected for two reasons. I want to go over some of the things that were unexpected about Jesus. But I also want to talk about, as we think about New Year's resolutions, I'm going to encourage you to have at least part of your New Year's resolution be to become the unexpected in someone else's life. So I'm going to get to that toward the end of my talk. But I wanted to, I thought it was only fair to tell some unexpected things about me. Um, One of the things that's unexpected about me is I don't follow sports at all. I enjoy watching a football game, enjoy going to a baseball game, especially at a minor league park, but I don't follow it. I couldn't tell you who is even under consideration for the Super Bowl, except that I'm on Facebook enough that I know it can't be the Cowboys, right? (laughs) I know that much. I can tell you, though, a little secret about myself, because sports is like 80% of what guys talk about, so I have to fake it somehow. So if you invite me to your home to watch some kind of sports event, I will figure out what team is your favorite, and I will completely pretend that they have always been my favorite team as well. Love them. Speaking of which, Megan and Peter DeYoung, go Bears. They always have Pinot Noir, so um, it's good to keep that uh, particular wheel greased. Um, So the other thing that's a little bit unexpected is um, I come from a long line of mechanical idiots, so we cannot fix things around the house very well, but my wife, Laura, who's the one that does all the coffee and stuff in the back, she is absolutely brilliant at that stuff. So when we have an inspector come, like when we got this house, we had the inspector come. He's trying to be buddy-buddy with me, and despite saying my name is Steven seven times, Steve, i got to talk to you about your plumbing stack. And I'm like, talk to her because I go get burgers. That's my job. She's the one that understands that stuff, and it just brings a special joy to my eyes when she understands it better than he does. He'll say, this is the problem. She's like, no, it's not for this reason. Um, and just, just makes me smile. And I have to, I, this is my fourth time up here. I have to do a little bit of a brag on my wife. So one day we had this dishwasher that was driving us absolutely crazy. And one day when I'm at work, I don't know if she's going to do this. She goes to Lowe's by herself, gets the dishwasher, puts it in the back of the van, brings it home, uninstalls the old one and installs the new one to where it's working when I come home. 
So, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in love with my wife for her beauty, as many of you are. But for you guys out there, I will see your beauty and raise you. My woman can put in a dishwasher. <laughs> okay. So that's kind of the ways I'm unexpected. But Jesus was also unexpected in his birth, his life, and his message. His birth was, you know, remember, they're expecting a ruler. He was born into poverty. You know, we all put out the nativity that we kind of make into a little petting zoo. It's really clean, it's really neat, but it wouldn't have been clean or neat. It was a dirty trough. I think we say manger because it sounds kind of French. Put the infant in the manger. <laughs> but it's a trough where they fed animals. It would have been dirty, it would have been gross, it would have been stinky. And this is where he was born and where he was laid. Definitely not a ruler. And I think it's just an inspiration to all of us that like this is how... God brought his son into the world, not into wealth, but into poverty, because he brought him for a different purpose. And Jesus' message was also really unexpected. There are several things he said that I want to talk about, that, or at least two, that were really unexpected. One was that being rich was not enough to get into heaven, In the day, people thought how much money you had was a direct sign of how favored you were by God. But Jesus says, no, that's not enough. There's a a good story. This is in Mark 10, verses uh, 17 to 27. I'm going to read a bit of it, and then I'll put some up on the screen, but I'm going to read some first. As Jesus started on his way, a man came up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus, answers a re- then Jesus asks a really neat question. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And I think he was kind of hinting to the fact that he was God. But then he goes on. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. You shall honor your father and mother. Teacher, he said, I have... All of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him, and I've always liked that too. He loved him. He loved this guy, um, despite the fault that you're about to see. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, just so you know, I don't think this is a call to everyone that you must empty your bank account and give everything you have. This was this rich young man's block to God because of his money, he felt like he had earned it. He, was comf- he didn't need anybody else. But let's see what people said to this. And we can go ahead and put that up on the slide. Continuing, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God the disciples were amazed. This is not just the comment. This is the disciples who are around him all the time. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. You cannot do it yourself, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And before you start saying, whoo-hoo, his example does not apply to me, I am not rich. I uh, went to a lecture once by a guy who was a biblical scholar who said, let me tell you how you define rich in Bible times. 
average was you have food for the day, for the day, at the start of the day, and one change of clothes. And if you had more than that, you were rich. So my guess is everyone in this room is implicated, implicated by what I, what I just said. But Jesus taught this amazing message. These are his disciples that were even shocked by this. Wait, a rich person can't get there? No, Jesus says it depends on God, not on you. And another message that he had that was hard at the time and is, I think, hard for us today is that following the letter of the law was not enough. God had laid down some laws for his people and the religious leaders had taken those laws and expanded them to an impossible to follow rule book. God had given this wonderful, understandable commandment that on the seventh day of the week, you need to rest because that is good for you. You need to rest. But the religious leaders turned that into, you know, if you step on grass, grass sometimes has seed in it and the seed falls on the ground and that's like planting and that's doing work. So don't step on grass on the Sabbath. They had turned it into a set of rules. And why do we, even today, want to make things into a set of rules? This is what you have to do. Well, because if I follow a set of rules, one thing is I can look down on the people that didn't. (laughs) But another thing is I then have earned my way into heaven. God owes me because I followed his rules. The rules are not there to be a set of checkboxes. In fact, Jesus has very strong language for the religious leaders of the day. He says, and they were called Pharisees. He says, this is in Matthew chapter 23, woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You don't just give a tenth of your money, you give a tenth of your spices, mill, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees and hypocrites. You clean, I love this image, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Jesus says an amazing thing. The rules are not a checkbox to where if you do this, you have earned yourself remission from your sins because we can't do it. He said some amazing things like you might say to yourself, I'm not that bad. I'm no murderer. I know that Jesus forgave some murderers. I'm not a murderer. Jesus said, if you are angry with your brother, that's the same. It's the condition of the heart. It's not just the physical action. Some of you may have known particularly cruel husbands who would say something to their spouse like, I've stayed faithful to you despite, believe me, many opportunities to not be faithful. You should be happy that I'm so upright. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, that's the same as the act, right? Why does he say that? Because it's the condition of the heart and the law is not there to be a series of checkboxes where you earn your salvation. 
It is only through God. Romans, in the book of Romans, it says that the law is there to show that you can't possibly earn salvation. This is a really hard thing. This should be up on the slide. Romans 3.20 says, uh, Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Think about that. No one is made righteous by following the law. The law is there to be an obvious statement that, hey, we fall short. We don't make it. This was an amazing thing, an unexpected thing in Jesus' day, right? Because the religious leaders had told them it's about not walking on the grass. Jesus says, no, it's about your heart. It's about surrendering to God and about realizing that you can't get to receive salvation and eternal life on your own. What Jesus said was enough was belief in him, was faith in him. I'll share another story from Matthew chapter 8 that is to me another, just a story that warms my heart a lot. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, that's a city, a centurion, that's a Roman soldier, came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Listen to what the soldier replies. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Wow, he was saying all that Jesus had to do was speak the word, and it was done. He didn't even have to come. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, those who invested more time and been around him more, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This is not Jews. This is a Roman had the greatest faith because he placed his faith in what Jesus could do. Jesus tells us, that all that we have to do to receive eternal life and forgiveness of our sins is believe in him. You know the verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It does not say whoever believes in him and then from that point forward follows every rule to the letter. It's only belief. And I encourage you today, if you have not made this step of faith, and accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection as the covering for your sin, I encourage you, talk to me after, talk to Pastor Dave, talk to the prayer partners who will be up here afterwards, because God knew that we could not earn our way to him. In fact, this is the difference between the Christian faith and every other faith. If you look at any other faith, Although I know we're very pluralistic and we like to say everything's talking about the same God. No, Christianity says you cannot work your way to God. It was only Jesus who came down as a sacrifice that can pay the penalty for the sins that you've committed. So again, if that is a step you'd like to take, I encourage you to talk to me afterwards, talk to Pastor Dave, talk to the prayer partners. We're all 
happy to help you. So now as we think about the unexpected message of um, Jesus, I want to think about our New Year's resolutions. So often we write New Year's resolutions and some of them are a little bit about pride. You know, you want to hit the gym because you want someone to say in two months, it looks like you've been hitting the gym. (laughs) Now, um, that's one reason we write things down. But I think another reason that we make, and I think it's just really true, another reason that we make uh, New Year's resolutions is we feel... um, a little bit guilty. Now, why would we feel guilty this time of year? The Christmas letter? You get them in your Christmas cards? The Christmas letter, about 95% of them are fun to catch up. Then you get one or two that are like this. We are so proud of little eighth grade Melanie. She's the captain of four sports teams. She's the lead in two plays, which made for a busy November. She leads six Bible studies, and we were hoping to get it to seven, but uh, at our family's daily 6 a.m. devotional, we realized that the scripture told us that on the seventh day, even God rested. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. (laughs) Let me tell you something, little Melanie, I can completely relate. Kids are not on sports teams. They took the state-required minimum of PE, but if they needed a captain of complaining, they were happy to jump in for that. They are both in the same play. They're not the leads. They're in the ensemble. And her mother and I are just hoping they don't fight so bad that they get kicked out. <laughs> or if they do get kicked out, that it's not a lifetime ban because the, old, the younger one has three and a half years to go. <sighs> and little Melanie and little Melanie's parents, you know, there are several mornings when I have yelled at my children uh, over something stupid using language that would get me kicked out of any of little Melanie's Bible studies. We are not perfect we are not like that letter. We have a, Laura and I have a family friend who just spent her last two years going through treatment for breast cancer. And she's, she's Christian. And she said, you know, Stephen, some people, when they write hashtag blessed, they really mean that um, God has blessed them. And some people, when they write hashtag blessed, they do so because hashtag bragging would be too obvious. Um, we sometimes feel guilty. We feel like we don't measure up. Well, one thing we know is that that Christmas letter, they're giving you the best parts. And we also know that's just not real. That's just not how real people are. So we write New Year's resolutions like, I am never going to set foot in the bar because I know what happens when I go to the bar. Or we write resolutions like, you feel guilty and say, I am never going to go to that website because I know what happens when I go to that website, we are writing them out of guilt or sometimes we write them out of trying to control God or make a bargain with God. God, if I pray every day and donate this much to church and read this much Bible, could you please make it to where I get that promotion? Or could you please make it to where my relative is no longer sick or try to control God? I want to say, I don't have time to do the whole thing, but there is a phenomenal book about relating to God either through guilt or through trying to control God with your prayers. I think maybe you can put it up. Uh, oh, wow, someone even got the, I didn't, whoever made that, the picture, that's, that's awesome. I didn't do that. That's great. Um, it's called With Reimagining the Way You Relate to God. This is a phenomenal book. I want to leave it up because you will never correctly write down Sky Jathani, <laughs> and every book on Amazon has the word with in it. So it's a little hard to find, but it's a really great book about relating to God and not feeling guilty and not trying to control him, and I would really recommend it. 
So what I'm going to recommend is that as you're writing out your New Year's resolutions or thinking about them, that you make at least some of them about being the unexpected in someone else's life. Telling someone else, when you feel like you have to go to the bar for a social event, call me. Tell them you have plans with me. I'll be there. Or maybe you have a struggle that's a different kind where you can relate to a person in a way that other people couldn't. Be the unexpected for them because you know why? If you have placed your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. He does not see them. All that God sees is the sacrifice that Jesus made. It tells us this in scripture, that our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. But sometimes, you know, we don't act like it. We don't feel that way because we feel like, God could not possibly use me because I mess up. And I want to encourage you that that is not the case. King David in the Old Testament, uh, he was being described in the New Testament in Acts, and it says that God testified concerning King David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. God how, wouldn't it be a fantastic thing to be known as a man after God's own heart or a person after God's own heart? Wouldn't you want that? And David did many, many things for God through God. But he also had Bathsheba. And I want to, not everyone here grew up going to church or knowing us. So I want to tell the story really quickly. David is king of Israel and Israel is at war. Uh, David is back in Jerusalem, not on the front. He goes up on his roof. He sees a very beautiful woman bathing on her roof, sends his servant, says, bring her to me. She comes to his house. We have no idea from the biblical account in 2 Samuel whether this was consensual or not, but he gets to know her in the biblical sense, literally because it's in the Bible. <laughs> he gets to know her, and then she sends word to him that she's pregnant, and She's married to Uriah. She's married to this guy, Uriah, who was a soldier fighting for David. So David wants to cover up what he's done. And he brings Uriah back, uh, back to his house, and he tells him, go to your house, wash your, you know, go wash your feet, hoping that he would also see Bathsheba and things would start happening. And it's like Uriah says, I cannot have the comfort of my home and my wife while my fellow soldiers are out in the field. I will stay with your servants at the palace. So David tries plan B, gets him drunk, and says, really, you got to go home? He's like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I'm going to stay. I can't do it while my comrades are out in the field. So then David takes matters very seriously. He tells the leaders of, the, of his military forces, put Uriah in the front where the fighting is fiercest and withdraw from him so that he'll die. And this is what happens. This is a terrible thing. It says the Lord was displeased with this. And in fact, you can read it in 2 Samuel. There was a really bad consequence that came for this horrible action. However, he's still classified as a man after God's own heart. Why is that? It's because that sin did not define David to God. And in the same way, when we mess up, it does not define us to God. God can use us. The Bible is full of flawed people that he used for the glory of himself and of his kingdom. I encourage you today, 
be the unexpected in someone else's life. Now, I will say one thing that I just is on my mind because I have had people say to me, I don't get it. If God has forgiven all your sins, past, present, and future, what is your motivation to not sin? Because if it's forgiven, why does it matter? Well, for one thing, Romans tells us, Romans addresses this exact argument. It says, should we continue sinning that grace may abound? And then it says, may it never be. But I think of it this way. Imagine that you're living in a house and the house payment is crushing you. And you are frightened every day that if you can't pay for that house, you and your family are out on the street. And then all of a sudden, this kind of distant relative says, you know what, I, I'm single. I'm worried about you and your family. This is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to move out of my house, take that money. I'm going to buy your house. And I'm going to promise that from now on, you'll never have to worry about your house. I'm going to pay the taxes. I'm going to pay repairs. The only thing I ask is I may occasionally want to come to your house and have dinner with you. How, well, the first thing you would feel is incredible relief that this burden, this debt, this thing that eats on your heart every month has been lifted. But how would you want your house to be when he came to visit? True, it's technically true. He said he's going to pay for repairs, but would you want it to be in disrepair? No. You would want your house to be spotless out of gratitude. You would want to tell others, about, look, look what my relative did for me. I think it's the same way about sin. We want to, uh, the reason we don't sin is out of gratitude and faith and incredible thanksgiving for the God that, that sacrificed himself for us. So I encourage you today as we're thinking about these New Year's resolutions, I encourage you to um, have at least part of them be to be the unexpected in someone else's life. Maybe that person at work that's super, super annoying or maybe someone that is really struggling and you've struggled in a similar way. Show them that there is hope because you've been forgiven, that you've done things that are wrong and you have been forgiven for it and they can be forgiven too. Be that unexpected joy in their life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for sending your son that we celebrated just two days ago for us. We thank you that he died for us, that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. I just pray that as we think about the people we encounter, that we can share with them that thankfulness, that gratitude, and the knowledge of what you've done, and that we can live knowing that when we do things that are wrong. It is already forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.